0: No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word.
1: I'll just add to that. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So today, uh, so leading into Christmas, we've been doing a a little series called Christmas on the Outpost. I mentioned our kind of uh, our strategy uh, around being an outpost, which is to... Um, to understand ourselves is very much a part of the Christian church. We're not uh, trying to reinvent Christianity. We, we believe in it as passed down um, from the, the scriptures and the apostles and the historic church. And, and even we, we share that with many, many, many churches in our city and throughout our world. Um, so we're not trying to do something new, but we're trying to, to think about what would it be like to be very available um, and even strategically uh, engaging with people who, who don't know Christ, who aren't used to the church, who, uh, who wouldn't just walk in the doors. So as we do that, we're uh, looking at the Christmas story. And I remember a year ago when we uh, planned all this out, just thinking, wow, the, uh, the, the nativity scene, even just the, the classic nativity scene, really is an image of what we're talking about here. It's diverse people brought together by Jesus, the only one who could bring them together. So this is kind of just a, this whole evening is just another meditation on that. And to look through that a little bit more, just what that whole scene really means for us, but I think for all Christians. Um, I really don't think anything in our outpost model is surprising um, or anything that any Christian shouldn't sort of think about doing anyway. So, little unorthodox, but I'm just going to tell you what I want you to learn today. Um, this, uh, sometimes I think about, I'll, I'll think, what, what do I think you all are, and what do I hope you're going to learn today? And I did that um, earlier in the week, and I'm just going to tell you. Okay, you ready? This is what I want you to learn. Um, I want you all, I want us to, and this, and I mean this if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're new or if you're not even a Christian, I I want us all to see this, that the Christian church is supposed to be a living um, image or witness to the world that shows what the kingdom of God will be like someday. That's what it should be. And therefore, I want you to see that when we get together, hear God's word, and worship God, we are cultivating a desire within ourselves for what matters the most in our existence. That's what we're doing. That's what this is, okay? And I want that to make you think about all other ways of thinking about church and worship that might be about yourself, and for those to become repulsive and bothersome to you. In light of the idea of an experience that reflects the kingdom and its diversity, um, where the people that are brought together are as different from one another as God is is different than, God the Father is different than the Spirit and the Son, that we would actually go, I want to understand the diversity of God himself by embracing the diversity in this room and how much it doesn't just serve me. A lot of words, all right? That's what I want to happen, though. I just thought I'd let you know. That's, that's, that's the plan. You guys think we can, you think there's a chance? We'll give it a shot. Um, I think this little narrative at the beginning of John um, gives us a, a solid shot at thinking this through. It's a Genesis narrative. It means it's telling the whole true story of the world from the start. Uh, John is, is casting, he's talking to people um, who are not Jewish, which means that they didn't grow up with the scriptures necessarily. Um, and he is telling them the whole true story of the world and telling them it's all about Jesus. He basically is saying everything is all about Jesus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just have three very Jesus-centered ideas here that we're going to walk through. Jesus is, is king, Jesus is light, Jesus is home, and, and talk about how we experience that all when we, uh, when we get together and worship. So this all starts off with, in, be, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Do you feel the emphasis? Not anything was made that was made. Nothing. Everything was made clearly through Jesus. In him was life. That's a big statement. And the life was the light of men or mankind. Uh, These words can sound kind of ethereal and metaphorical. And um, guess what? 2,000 years ago, they also sounded that way. That's a that's, that's something you need to know. But there was one major difference and that is the term word. For us, we hear that and we think that must be you know, a metaphor. Uh, and it landed with them differently because to them that was a familiar word. It was the word logos. And we, we have translated it as word and that's okay, that's close. But um, when we read it, we have to think, we immediately think, what does he mean by that? A Greek-speaking person would have heard this word and said, I know what he means by that. That's the difference. We say, I wonder what he means. They would say, I know what he means. And when they heard that, they were hearing a term that had been um, popularized by the Stoic philosophers of their day. So these are the most public writers, um, speakers, or some of them. Um, Of their time. And this was a word that meant to them something like reason or logic, but they would connect it to the beginning of all things. And and, um, then there was a Jewish philosopher, even who was accepted in Greek circles, named Philo. And for him, he even tweaked it a little bit more to mean the instrument by which the rational world came to be, or the logos. And so they believed that there must be some reason or logic behind a reasonable and logical system that they were experiencing, okay? So when they said that, um, it, was, it was pointing to something they did not understand, but they knew the word, logos. And John was saying to them, um, in the beginning was the logos, and they were, they were nodding their head and they were going, yes, we agree. We agree with that statement. Now, what what word would you use today? I mean, I think that, that's an interesting thing to think through. What about if you were if you were going to pick the word that everyone in Tucson would would be kind of intrigued by and have some sense of, you know, yeah, that's been there forever. Um, what what would you pick? Um, I, I was kind of thinking about this, and I saw a buddy of mine, uh, not a believer, shared a scientific paper. Uh, on Facebook this week. And it was the Big Bang isn't the beginning of the universe anymore. So that's interesting, right? And I was like, oh, wow, curious I am. And I clicked into it and there are all sorts of things I do not understand, the theory of quantum gravity and uh, ca- causal set theory, Garrett knows all about it. I guarantee you can talk to him later and he'll tell you, you don't, wow, we, okay. <laughs> Garrett doesn't even know, somebody knows, somebody knows. Um, but there's this uh, mathematical possibility that the universe could be eternal. That's basically the, uh, the hint, or that that's what the article is getting at. Super interesting. Um, all I know is I thought universe, when I saw it in there, the, the word universe um, is something that, that a lot of people are saying. At Friday, the Rialto Theater, what was being um, done there, it was a, it was a skit show, uh, that was, was Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Okay, at the Rialto on Friday. So, people are thinking about the universe. Maybe it's always been. Maybe maybe they would use a word like that. So, if I were to say, "In the beginning was the universe," people would go, "Okay, I know what that word means." Um, and and John was picking a word, you know, something like that. Something that was very common. And he was kind of going, "Look, um, here, here's a phrase." that you understand, and it kind of hooked him for a second. And then he begins to present concepts that took that hook and made it more complex to the Greek mind. Because he said the logos was God. And they wouldn't have been utterly opposed to that. They believed in gods. They believed in many gods. Um, and then he said, but, but, but maybe to singularize it down to one would have been challenging. And then he said all things were made through him, and that they, might have, they might have been jiving with that. But eventually, in this little introduction to his book, he says the Logos became flesh, and he ends up saying, Jesus, a person that was recently crucified, was the Logos. And that would have been very challenging. At that point, they would go, whoa, hold on. That's going to take, take some thought. Volumes and volumes have been written on this passage, but at the end of the day, the big idea held by believers in God is that God is ultimate, um, that creation has a creator, that eternity has an ever-present being at its center. Christianity holds that that being not only exists beyond us. Not only did, did that being, you, know, does that being exist outside of us, but that being, God, entered into the creation. And that is a very important. Belief. Therefore, um, I mean, maybe you've seen this this ad series that's going around. On, I mean, it's kind of TV billboards um, that says, you know, he gets us. Put it up there on the screen in a second. Why? Because he was human too. That's that's a really key idea. He entered into into creation. He gets us because he was human too. Um, If there is a God, then God is the most important thing in life to understand. And if that God has become accessible, has entered in and understands us, if God gets us and has had enough mercy to enter in, then we must, really, and, and, and have the opportunity to get him. We can understand. We can connect. We can not just talk in the abstract, but we can talk specifically. Um, would that not be the most important thing in life? I mean, think about the, like, think about the way that we live life. What, what's most important to us? I mean, if you, if, you took a, if you took your calendar, right? If I took my calendar and we, we logged the time and asked what's most important, right? If we took the checkbook and we logged the money flow, right? What's the most important? And that's, that's the question. That, w- this is why we need a space like this, is to form ourselves around that which is most important, because we go and we run after everything else, which is what the checkbook will show us and the calendar, right? But if there is a God who created us, has given us life, and is ultimately the purpose of life itself to seek and know and experience that God would be the most important thing in the world. And if you were to love another person, the most important thing in that relationship would be that they would be pointed to and experiencing God as well. Like that would be of massive importance, right? If there's a God that this would be really important, really, really important. So, we have the nativity scene. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, these wise men from the east. um, They are all there because in various ways, they have come to believe that Jesus is king. These men from the east who we talked about last week who were very wealthy and they were seeking political um, power and knowledge, they believed a king was going to be born. They didn't know a whole lot about it, but they were there because of that. The shepherds, who were kind of simple folk who were really not uh, respected that much at all, they had been told that Jesus was king by a heavenly host, a, a chorus of angels, and they said, Okay, and they showed up. Uh, Mary and Joseph had been told, um, despite all logic, that they were going to give birth to the king. And they hoped for that. And that's what they were there for. They had, they had centered around Jesus when they gathered together. So Jesus is king. He is eternal. He created all things. Life comes from him. Therefore, he is central to our very existence. He is as central as the Logos to the Greeks, the universe to our, um, our culture. Jesus is who the world is looking for. When the world speculates and writes about the universe, the Lagos, whatever, that's this is who they're looking for. It's who we're looking for. When we seek truth or relationship or love or meaning, we are looking for Jesus. Now, that's a massive claim, it is. Okay. But that's the claim of Christianity. Jesus is king. And Jesus is light, says the light shines in the darkness. This is John writing again, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, He begins to speak about a man named John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie, the, the Nativity Story. We're going to put a little picture of it up here. Um, I'm not much for religious films. If you, if you know me, that's one of my hang-ups. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really into them most of the time. But this one's not bad, and I've, uh, I generally try to encourage our family to watch it around Christmas because it it, gives, it helps you imagine some historical context. It kind of humanizes Things that I feel like I symbolize, like uh, Mary and Joseph become porcelain and sit on fireplaces, and it helps me to remember that they were like people who were confused, and, and this film kind of helps me with that. But the um, the star scene uh, just kills me every time. So this is uh, I'm going to talk positively about it in a second. So I'll I'll get over my little pastor rant, but. This, the planets converge, the star beams down, it's like a giant spotlight, and it, and it shines right into the room, and Jesus is utterly illuminated, and I'm like, that did not happen, okay? There's just, it's, I don't think, because it wasn't that the shepherds were like, I'm going to follow the laser beam, you know? Um, anyway, it's a little cheesy, but I'm going to be generous to the filmmakers and say this. I think they were trying to illustrate a principle more than a historical fact and make the movie kind of dramatic. And, and I think that's why they put all this emphasis on light. Um, there, there is something really important about light in scripture, and it, and, it, and it has an effect. It even has a cinematic effect. I think that's why they put the emphasis on it. Um, when I say, so these scenes in the nativity story, everything's dark, right? And then here is this light, and it centers on Jesus. It, that it communicates very well. When I say the world is dark, you know, what do you think of? Um, Sometimes you hear a phrase like that. Um, I I remember recently a friend of mine was talking about how Tucson was a dark place, and I was like, I don't think of it that way. But what do you think of? When when I say the world is dark, um, what do you think of? How do you relate to that? Do you at all? Um, Almost everyone I know has some sense that that's true, but it's different. It's different in every person. It has to do with your story. It has to do with your experiences. Um, it, it has to do with so many other factors, like the ways that you might see darkness in the world, the ways you might experience that. I was talking to James the other day, and we were discussing the way like places and environments um, can a- affect a person, like an urban place versus a rural place, uh, a warm place versus a cold place. And people do not view these things the same. Uh, I moved to South Chicago years back um, when I was in my early 20s. And for me, there was, there was a lot going on. I was not familiar with this area, but also it's urban. I moved there when it was cold. Um, There's concrete like everywhere. I'm used to always being able to, and I didn't even realize this, but I can always see the end of our city because of the mountains. I can always see it ends over there or and there. And it, and I kind of have this sense that I'm in a city, but I could easily be out. And in Chicago, you have a lake and you can't really, you don't know what to do with it. And then there's just concrete forever, it feels like. And that had an interesting effect on me. And I remember asking the people I lived with, um, you know, because, well, also I lived in South Chicago, and so there's a lot of violence and so is, you know, gunshots every night and stuff. I mean, really, automatic weapons. And, and I said something about like, does it like ever stress you out to live here? And the lady I lived with, she looked over at me and she said, I know exactly what's going on here at all times. She's like, I can hear the neighbors, I can hear everything, it's very nice. When I go out into those creepy suburbs, it drives me insane because like, it's like quiet. She goes, you know there's sinners out there they're all just being really quiet, and it creeps me out. I was like, "What? You know, like that's different than my perspective, right? I came into Chicago and it was like, cold, dark, eerie, and she's like, no, normal, comfortable. That's weird over there, right? We have a different sense. Um, the darkness. She, you know, I sensed in a city. To her, was punctuated by lights." and audible cues. She knew what was going on. And that can be comforting. It it can help you understand what's going on around you. The darkness of a rural community can be utter and vast, um, but to some sense, there's like a light that comes from being able to be still and, and enjoy silence, right? The same is true of the inner life. Every one of you, every single one of us has a different sense of inner darkness and a different type of illumination that we desire. It is not the same. There are themes, uh, but no two people here are the same. When I talk about about darkness, the darkness of the world or the darkness in our lives, um, we've we've experienced different pain. We have different longings. Uh, we have different uh, desires as to like what kind of what it would look like for light to break into our hearts, and that shapes what we're receptive to. Have you ever noticed? Like I was thinking about this very recently some people like to be like confronted. That feels like love. Have you noticed this? And other people do not. You confront them, it feels like terror. They want to be approached gently with a hug, right? You try to hug somebody else, they're going to be like, ah, get away from me. Have you? No two people are the same. Now, one of the major themes in our world today is that we should, um, we really should, love each other and and get along. And that feels like impossible. It feels like a lost cause. But but there's this sense that people should be willing to change and listen and be civil. Um, and we really lament that it isn't happening. And so, how how could it ever happen when we're so different? We don't even like understand what quiet means in the same way, right? How could the urban and the rural come together? How could the first and the third world come together with their vastly different life experience, right? How could the thinker and the doer, the creative and the pragmatic, all with different orientations, pain, who want love in different ways, how could you bring all these people together ever? It would have to be around something very transcendent. Much bigger than any of us. And John says here, Jesus is the one who's given us all life and that life was the light to all people. That's a really like the light to all people. I mean, do you know what what that means? That's saying what Jesus offers can be received as light and truth to every single human being this planet. That's that's insane. We all have the idea of life in common, don't we? We all live, we all breathe, we all perceive. Um, Only our Creator can speak to that. But if we have a Creator, no one but our Creator could understand all the different iterations of us, and only if that creator has lived and breathed as we do, which is why this is so shocking, but why the incarnation is so important. Um, Incarnation, that's a big religious word, right? Um, I'm gonna give you a memory tool, you'll never forget it, carne asada, okay? Grab onto that one for you, incarnate, carne, meat. Remember it, meat, tacos, Um, you got it? Okay, carne, meat in the flesh. God entered into the meat. <laughs> You're going to remember our incarnation. God became flesh. Um, here is God, the God, the creator of the universe, in flesh, perceiving or think about this, in the nativity moment, perceiving life from the standpoint of an infant. Everything is kind of blurry, trying to feel. Jesus experienced the darkness of the womb, and then the darkness in the world, and then our shared dark destiny of death, experienced every one of those layers of darkness that we experience. Jesus entered into the darkness, um, even the darkness that's within us. do, Do you see what happens to him all throughout his life? He's rejected, he's criticized, he's betrayed, he's killed. This is our darkness now ends up getting poured onto him. But John says he gave light to everyone. What does that mean when we're all so different? Does it mean get on the same page, like see the light, the same? I don't, I don't think so. I think it means that the one, the only one who truly knows you also knows me because he created all of us and he entered in and gives light to each one of us uniquely. And that's an incredible, incredible statement. To the deep thinker, his light shines. To the pragmatic, his light shines. To those who sit in the quiet and meditate, his light shines. To those who talk through grand ideas on the world stage, his light shines. To the poor, to the wealthy, every man, every woman, to the children, to the elderly, to the abused, the disabled, to those who have every privilege but deep pain. The only way for there to be unity in a world of deep difference is to gather around one great light who can shine for everyone. And the scriptures say that is Jesus. And if you look across the span of history, um, that's exactly what's happened. Think of all the different cultures, all the different socioeconomic groups. All the different eras, Jesus has given light to them all. Jesus' home, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. There's a lot of key ideas here around kind of belonging and family, and, um, and there are three, three things that come out in here about this theme. There's more that could be said, but those who receive Jesus become, um, become family. They become children of God. Those who receive the one who dwelled among us are accepted by grace. It says grace upon grace. It's like a piling up of grace is how you're accepted. And those who receive Jesus come to know God as Father. Now, family is a, is a wild concept, right? Um, but it's also shaping. Um, I have a picture of a diverse family from the perspective of a kid, right? Here it is. That's, they said, that's my family, and we love each other. Um, Family, why, why is it that we want to know where we're from and who our ancestors are and what they did and our story and our people? Um, but also, nobody can drive you insane like your family, right? Um, there's people in my family that, whoo, I don't understand. But there's some stinking bond there, right? There's some reason why it still matters to me what they think and what they do and why they do it. The idea of family is deeply important. Um, even if you've needed to disconnect from family, which some people do, there's still a sense that you begin looking for another one, like somewhere where you can belong, where you can sense you know, something like the concept of home. And we mentioned this a couple times this Advent season, but if you look at the diversity painted in this nativity scene, you have this really interesting group of people brought together. You have this obscure Jewish carpenter named Joseph. Um, there's, there's a chance, by the way, Nazareth, but besides all that other stuff that, that John was talking about with Nazareth and its divides, there's also a solid chance that carpenters in Nazareth built things for Rome. I don't know if you've heard that. I've mentioned that here before. But that doesn't make you very popular when you build things for Rome um, as a Jewish person. Um, Jesus may have apprenticed building, you know, things for the Roman army. And then there's a young girl that nobody, nobody knows, nobody expects, who God speaks to. You have the shepherds, the social outcasts who did the job that nobody wanted and, and who nobody expected. Um, they're the first ones who are invited, which is shocking. Then as we said last week, you have these foreign astrologers seeking this new king, but not necessarily under the right assumptions or the right methods. Um, they're probably looking for a sociopolitical king. You have the religious leaders um, who, in, in our stories that we've read, especially Matthew's gospel last week, um, they go to Herod because Herod is the king of the Jewish people. He would want the best for the Jewish people, and they think he will want, he will want to know where the king is too. Herod wants to kill the new young king. Herod is a deeply paranoid um, and troubled man. He kills his own wife and his child in his lifetime. He's driven by selfish ambition. In this scene, you have people you wouldn't expect to come in. You have people who you would expect to come in, oppose it, it's, it's kind of a surprising scene. It's, a, it's an uncanny family. The people you'd think would be there are out. The people who are there, you'd never expect. And that's not where it ends. Jesus is born that way, and he grows up, and he, he turns age 30, which is about when you could become a priest, and he gathers some, some disciples around him, and he kind of builds a little team. You know, there's 12 of them, and they are not, a normal looking group. We talked about this earlier in the year, diverse disciples, we called it a while back. The most notable are, are Matthew and Simon the Zealot. These are two people who would never hang out. Um, it's like I was trying to think about this, and I was like, there was a guy at the January 6th insurrection who had a Jesus flag he was waving around over his head. And you know, and a lot of us were kind of like, oh bro, stop it. And there was that guy, right? It's like Jesus goes, and he goes, "No, no, no I like you. Come here. You got spirit." <laughs> and there's other people who're like, "No, no, don't pick that guy. He's got guns, like on him right now." And Jesus, is like, "It's okay. Come on. He's got spirit." And then we're like, "All right." And then uh, who next? Jesus? He's like, "Well, I got a guy. He's really into the Green New Deal." Okay. And get this, he's pro high taxes and big government. And on top of that, he's been pocketing money from it for years. We're all, huh? Flag guy's gonna kill that guy. (laughs) Jesus' like, he would. (laughs) He's like, I think they're gonna be great. That's Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Like, the Zealots were literally trying to overthrow the government. And Matthew is literally a crooked guy working for the Romans, skimming money off the top. That's who they were. They were kind of like that. And Jesus is like, you guys follow me. Guess what? Simon has to stop stealing. So you never hear anything about Simon the Zealot. That's my favorite part. The dude who was like going to overthrow everything and just like kick butt and take names. It's like dead sign. Like, what did he do? Jesus was probably like, hey, you're going to carry our stuff. <laughs> and nobody ever heard of him again. He just kind of walked around. He's like, all right, okay. <laughs> and then everybody hears about John, who's like 20 years old, and, and everybody's like, John's amazing. And Simon the Zealot's like, I've trained for years. I do nothing. Jesus' disciples were incredibly diverse. It, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, think about this. In, in the nativity scene, in Jesus' disciples, the togetherness is possible only because of the sufficiency of the one who's at the center. It is not because of each other's sufficiency. You know, Simon the Zealot didn't look at Matthew and go, Matthew, you are an incredible co-church member. I am just so blown away at how great you are. I will go to church with you too, right? No, neither was that the, the, the case with the shepherds and Joseph. They didn't walk in and go, Joseph, you're an incredible carpenter. I would like to move up from being a shepherd, and you could really help me. No, it's Jesus at the center of them that brings them together. It's the sufficiency of the one who's at the center. It's not about the other people. It's the one who's at the center. You flash forward to the book of Acts, we see the same thing in the founding of the New Testament church. We have the Apostle Paul, if you, if you read the letters of the books of Acts, or uh, sorry, the books of the New Testament... You have the Apostle Paul, and he's always arguing for including the outsiders, the Gentiles, who who everybody wants to keep out. And he's talking to Jewish people, telling Jewish people, let Gentiles in. But the biggest surprise of all is that Paul was known for what? Killing Jewish people who believe in Jesus. This is not the guy you'd pick for this job. Like, hey, you go talk to Jewish people about how they should include outsiders. Ah, what's your experience? killing Jewish people who are Christians. Ah, yes, they'll listen to you. It's shocking. The guy making the argument for togetherness was the most divisive guy. And that's one of the biggest themes of the New Testament is that we should reconcile and gather together with people who are very different than us, and the one leading the charge was the most divisive one before Jesus changed his life. What brings those people together? Jesus. Jesus. It's like the reversal of the flow of history. Do you hear in all those in the nativity story, in Jesus' disciples, and in the New Testament? It's almost like the whole flow of history just starts going backwards. Like everything is disintegrating. People are going into war after war. They're dividing from each other. Families and nations are ripping apart. It's like it all starts to reverse in all those situations. And people start coming toward one another. That's what church should be like. That's what church should be Is that going to be simple? No. Is that going to mean I get my favorite church in the world? No. It can't. It's the reversal of the flow of history. It's going against the very fiber of what sin does to the world. It's reversing it. It's going to be different. But it's possible. Because in Jesus who reconciles us to God, we can reconcile with one another. In the one who gives us grace upon grace, who piles grace on top of grace, we can offer grace to one another. when Jesus. So Jesus is the light to us, and then he describes us as the light to the world. Think about this. Mm, Does that mean that we should show how superior we are to everyone and how we know what we're talking about? Does the world know how to do that? Yes, everyone knows how to do that. That's what everyone does all the time. Like, open social media, it's what everyone does. I'm right, my people are right. Look, look how smart we are. It's constant. Everyone knows how to do that. You know what the world doesn't know how to do? Is to accept someone who's different and forgive them. That is hard to do. That is possible through Jesus. Being a light to the world, showing the world what Jesus has done for us, he's the light to us, we exhibit it out. And we show them something that can only be done by putting Jesus at the center. I told you what I hoped for. I said a lot of words. I want you to see that the call for what the church could be is a radical call that can only be made possible by Jesus being at the center So for us to do that, we have to put Jesus at the center of our lives. You see what I'm saying? Like when we live lives where Jesus is not at the center, we will drift from this. That's why every time we get together, we end up walking up here, and what do we do? We eat bread that symbolizes Jesus, and we drink juice that that reminds us that he had to die to reconcile us to himself. And we eat it as an entire community— And we come up and we conclude the whole thing on Jesus. And then we leave. And the idea is that you take this culmination of everything we do in worship, and you carry it out with you. That, what Jesus did for us, is what we have to offer. This centers us on what the most important message in the whole world is. This is our creator in the flesh who came in, understands us, gives light to each of us uniquely, that's that's incredible. We need to feast on it. And that's what will shape us into the kind of people that give light to the world. I want us to believe this. I want to believe it. I think about the the amount of time. I think we need to hear this about every seven days. Because we forget. So... Friends, um, I'm inviting you back to where we always go, to Jesus, the one who came in the flesh. He entered into our situation. He suffered on our behalf. He, he took the darkness. He shone light into the darkness by laying his life down. We're called out into the darkness ourselves, and we shine our light in the same way. So you come and receive him simply by faith. Here's what we're going to do, we're going to take two minutes of silence, and this is just a time to come before God, and it could be a time to confess, Um, it could be a time to just reconnect, it could be a time to try prayer for the very first time. Um, It's just a chance to, to say, are you who the scriptures say you are? Are you the word? Are you the logic, the logos? Are you the very universe itself? Are you everything, are you the creator of all things and you understand me? So pray. We're gonna do that for two minutes and then uh, Mike's gonna come up and lead some music and then um, the Lord's table will be open and that's for you to just come and partake of he who died for us, who entered in, who understands. Um, And then after that, there's, there's giving in the back. We're we're so bad at talking about giving, but the truth is we really need it. Um Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Jared's Jared's doubling up this week, I can tell. No, um but uh but we do. We really do. Um it's it's how we operate. Um and it's how how we uh yeah, invest in this these things that we believe and in uh each other. And then we eat together, which is one of my favorite things. And we hang out and we spend time and so I would uh, encourage you all to partake in all of that. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then leave that leave that time of silence just for you to, to pray for a little bit. Father, thank you for thank you for the chance to uh, think about Jesus. Thank you for this season that you know we we hear songs about you on the radio. Um, we hear uh, we hear songs about. You're coming to Earth in target, um, even if it's not what people mean to do, you and your message and your light just shine brightly at this time of year in so many places. And I pray that it would shine really, really brightly through us, that you would transform us, that you would remind us what life is for, what it's about that you, God, um, are our creator, you are king, and everything was made by you and for you, that, that we would be shaped and formed by that. I forget it like every single day. So forgive us, bring us back, bring us together, and shine your light through us, and lead us now as we pray.